Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today our guest is Dr. Brenda Eckert. She's a sociologist, a financial coach, a course creator, a blogger, and the founder of the Gutsy Women Club. She's a single mom who worked her way to financial freedom and left the conventional lifestyle to pursue her own adventures. And these days we can find Dr. Brenda traveling the country in her RV with her three cats, she has a mission to help women reach their financial and personal dreams. She's a very busy lady, and I, and I am glad she's here with us today. Brenda, welcome to the show. Eric, thank you so much for having me on. This is going to be fun because I, I love – the word gutsy isn't used nearly enough, and I love that. I want to unpack why you went with Gutsy Women Club as the name of this, and I'd like to hear a little bit about your story um, and how you got into the financial freedom journey as well. So can you share those things with us? I certainly can. It's a, it's a long story, so I don't want to take up the next three hours. But for me, financial freedom, I'm single mom. And I came to the concept of FIRE, financial independence, retire early, you know, relatively late in my 40s. And at some point, I realized, you know what, I don't have to work until I'm 65 or 70 or 75. If I take charge of my finances now... I can leave the workplace early, and it turns out I did end up leaving the workplace early, not intentionally, but it was, you know, a case of burnout and a toxic work environment, and I lost my job, this, you know, really high-level career at the age of 54, and when I did, I realized, you know, I've got a decent cushion that I don't have to scramble to get some job. I don't have to move to a place I don't want to move to to stay in my field. I can really figure out what I want to do. And that gave me the time to build, uh, to become a financial coach, but also to be able to uh, become an entrepreneur. So I created what's now the Dream Big Money Academy online courses and to help other women, especially, you know, people, but especially women who suddenly they lose their jobs and it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I've got to work at McDonald's. But 18 months into that, and I think people now who've, you know, been working from home with the pandemic can relate to, 18 months into that, I was like, you know, I'm trying to encourage other people to reach financial freedom, but Why? You know, I'm sitting at this dining room table staring out at the same suburban street. I've got a big house. It's just me. It's a lot to maintain. This just doesn't make sense. I had put on a lot of weight. I'd gotten depressed. I was really just miserable. And I woke up one day and it's like, I don't have to live like this. As long as I have the Internet, I can be anywhere I want. And the idea of RVing came to me because I just love to travel. The two things I had missed from my job, from my career, was the travel and meeting people. So having never driven an RV before, having never 
slept in one before. I bought a motorhome, and uh, I've been on the road now since the end of May. It's been, you know, coming on 11 months uh, from Virginia up to the Northeast. This is state number 22. I'm in California, and life is so incredibly joyful, different, happy, exciting again. And in a way, you know, it's sort of like trying out what you want to do when you retire. But also people told me, you know, that's so gutsy. You're doing this all on your own. And I thought, you know, you can do it too. And because I'm a sociologist, I'm a planner, I'm an organizer, it's like I can lay out the steps, whatever your dream is. Maybe it's taking a year off and doing something crazy. Maybe it's going back to get an education. Maybe it's buying a house. Maybe it's becoming a nomad. I can give you a process that's going to just increase your confidence, grow your courage so that you can get there too. So that's how the Gutsy Women Club was created, trying to inspire other women to just like, you know, bring your dreams back. They're, they're probably down there somewhere, and you've had all these responsibilities. Bring those dreams back. Come along. Let's help you create your financial, your personal dreams. That's a, that's a tremendous story. First of all, I, I love the fact that, uh, that you're already retired, by my definition. And I know you're busy, and you're working, and you're happy and joyful. But to me, being retired isn't the absence of work. It's the absence of needing to work. It's being financially independent and being free and being able to take the projects you want or take the clients you want or take the assignments you want and not to feel like you're punching a clock. Um, and it sounds like you found that at, at a relatively young age too, which is fantastic because so many people slave until they're 65 or 70 or whatever it is, and then they want to travel and see the world and they're not feeling up to it or they don't have the money to do it or they just it just doesn't happen. So it sounds like you found something incredible and are now sharing it with lots of people. Well, I, I believe I have. And it's really very fascinating as I go from state to state and I, I tend to stay in state and national parks. But you come along, you know, you come across all walks of life. But you do have, you know, some older folks who are probably... You know, they're out here having a difficult time, quite honestly, because, you know, they've had to wait to get their RV or, or, you know, work until they were late in life. And, you know, recently there was this movie that came out called Nomadland, and it was about, you know, an older woman who's had to go, you know, resort to living in a van. So you have, you have those folks here, too, who are struggling to get by but still trying to maintain their dignity and their independence but for me i couldn't be doing this without the financial um uh, means that i've built over 21 years did you um, over those 21 years was this a um, a conscious decision that you did it yourself? Did you work with um, uh, with uh, professionals, with financial advisors or, or attorneys or accountants or other types of folks? Was this a bootstrapping where you said, I'm going to do this myself and figure it out? What was, what was your financial journey like? Uh, great question. Um, I think I really woke up with um, a book that I read when I was probably 40 called, and it's David Bach, A Smart Women Finish Rich. And he introduces the concept of a dream fund. And it just like blew me away. I'm like, you know, 
I've got my PhD. Nobody, you know, all I learned about finances was how to balance a checking account. That's all I've learned, and that's all that many people have learned, if even that. And the idea of a dream fund just like blew me away. Like, you mean there's something beyond savings and retirement? There's this whole concept of a dream fund. And I am, I am an Excel geek, you know. I mean, I started, you go online, you find all these little projections. If I save this much, how much is it going to be? And so I, I did it all myself, and I, I used a spreadsheet really as my budget. And I read somewhere, too, that a budget is not a spending tool, it's a savings tool. So I call it the, you know, save until it hurts budget. So I would just take my paycheck and put X percentage into retirement, X percentage to, you know, pay down the mortgage faster, X for this. And if it started to like really impinge on my personal life, then it was time to back it up. But all of that was just automated. So over 21 years, um, it's like, whoa, you know, I went from negative, from being in the hole, from being in total poverty in my early 30s to you know having a net worth of a million plus which is pretty awesome that is pretty awesome and you stumbled on a concept that uh, you call it budget till it hurts or save till it hurts Um, for us we refer to that as paying yourself first and making sure that the first bill you pay every month is to your own savings or investment or financial freedom funds so that you're living on less than a hundred percent of what you make And, you know, I'm not a big fan of budgeting and particularly as a spending tool. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Budgeting itself is sort of dreadful. My feeling is if you know that you that you need to put away 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 percent of what you're making and you do that first every month, what you spend the rest of it on is up to you. Do anything you want. Exactly. And that is so much better than the thou shalt not. One must skip one's latte. That is, that is not a way any of us want to live, I don't think. And, and so it's nice that that script has flipped a little bit. Um, now, we've you know, recently put out a, an online course, and Sarah probably talked to you about that. I know she guessed it on your show. Um, and I know that there was a, uh, a push for some financial literacy education in various states, and it's really hitting roadblocks. So you mentioned that the only thing you had learned was how to balance a checkbook. Some kids don't even learn that. And I say kids, I mean even young adults. So we put together an, uh, an online course, a free course, that's available at BFG University. And it is designed to help people with some of the basics. And it's good for middle school, high school kids. And you have a, a, full, uh, a full catalog of online courses. Uh, and, and I think people are used to learning online now. I'm not just students who have been stuck home during the, the pandemic, but people who you know, used to go out to dinner or go to the theater or go to a a hockey game are now suddenly home and they might as well do something to enrich themselves. So tell me about Dream Big Money Academy and some of the courses that are out there and and what people will find if they visit the site. Sure. Um, I mean, the big big goal is financial freedom, but I have some mini courses on getting out of debt and how to build an emergency savings plan. And I... I mean, I have researched and looked at online courses, and I'm falling asleep after 15 minutes, maybe five minutes. And so for me, I wanted to use some very interactive tools, so I used something called Articulate 360. And it, it allows me to build things where people can interact 
with the program so they can put their priorities in order. They can punch in their number and the math will come back based on their number. And so it's very interactive. Um, I still find that the biggest challenge I have, I mean, one of my skills is taking something that's very confusing and simplifies it, simplifying it and putting it in step-by-step. Step. I still think the thing that we all face in the financial industry is are two things. One is people still feel intimidated. And then you, know, you talk, I read somewhere, like if you're in a grocery line, two strangers, so you get to talk about sex or money, which one do you talk about? People would prefer to talk about sex than money. So you know, nobody wants to talk about their money. They're intimidated by it. And the second thing is sort of the sleaze factor. You know, there, there's a, just a general level of mistrust. And so I think one of the values of sometimes going online courses is that people can experiment. They can try it. They can go at their own pace. If they feel intimidated, they can, you know, go into the Facebook group and they can ask questions. Um, so it's it's really based on trying to make the financial field more interesting, more robust, connecting people, getting them excited about their finances, which is a challenge. And I do want to say, you know, I'm really glad that you've got that course because um, my kid who is now 23 uh, in Virginia had a mandatory personal finance course. I looked at the book. It was awful. It was, you know, define what a corporation is. It was nothing to get anyone excited about personal finances. So I'm glad that you've got that. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, most states have no financial literacy at all. And the ones that do have not designed them particularly well. Um, you know, I, there, there's so many things you've said that I, I just I just want uh, to 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 branch off of. Um, one of them one of them was the the sociology perspective on the conversation about sex or money. People would rather talk about sex. Um, I'm certainly one of those people, and I like money. Um, but there's I've also heard people say, well, public speaking would be worse than death. You, you know, so some of this is just our own the way the way our brains function. There are things that that people consider you know taboo money's taboo we don't learn about it we don't talk about it with our parents our parents don't teach us how to do this in most cases and when they do it's us watching them do it wrong um and and then we get married you know people get married and now not only do i have the bad habits that i came to the table with but my spouse does too and they're different bad habits and there really is no um reliable way to get a um, to get some of that training and education. And you, you, you put it aptly as the sleaze factor. Unfortunately, in this country, to be a financial advisor, you pretty much just say you are. And that is such a problem. And I, I'm, and I, and I you know, there's a complete difference between a certified financial planner practitioner and someone who's gone through significant education and someone who just takes a job working for a company that sells financial products. And consumers don't necessarily know that difference, and it, it does create a sleaze factor. And, and, and I, I'm glad you pointed that out because, quite frankly, um, I, I would like to get rid of some of that. I'm not sure how to do it. In Go every ahead, industry, you've got, you've got the bad apples. You know, it doesn't, you know, my Jeep is at the, at the mechanic, and guys got good ratings, but, you know, we've all taken our 
vehicle to the wrong mechanic. We've all, you know, run into that in every industry. But, you know, you've got the Bernie Madoffs and you have these high-profile cases and people losing their life savings over and over. Well, you, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I do think the bad apples are by far and away the smaller percentage. The problem is that that's what makes the news. You know, it's, it's kind of like um, we never hear about uh, the plane that landed safely. Like no one talks about, did you know that flight 473 landed in, in St. Louis this morning? And the answer was no. Why? What happened? Well, nothing. It landed and everybody got off. You only hear about it if there's a tragedy because it's a major event. So for the, the Bernie Madoffs of the world, it, those are the big news, and that's where people start to say, oh, my gosh, what if my advisor or my team or guy or gal, or, or, or what if they're doing that too? And so then the regulators right. get involved. Then the regulators, the same regulators who invited Bernie Madoff to serve on their corporate boards are now going to tell everybody else what they can't do because of somebody like that. Um, and it, it is, there's a trickle-down effect of, um, of regulatory overreaction because of the really bad apples. And my question is, why can't we find them when they're harming people? Like, how difficult must that be that we can't find something that egregious? Right. Now, in my previous career, I specialized in elder justice, elder abuse and exploitation, adult guardianships and adult conservatorships, and I can tell you there's a huge disconnect between what the media thinks really happens, who's exploiting, versus who really does. So if you're looking at, um, you know, in different states it's called different things. I tend to use a conservatorship where somebody is placed in charge of someone else's finances because that person is not capable of taking care of his or her finances. If you're looking at who is doing the exploiting, you've got professional guardians, professional conservators, and you have family and friends. And it's the family and friends who are doing the majority of the exploiting and sort of seeing their, you know, their parents' assets as it's an early inheritance. You know, I can mm -hmm. I can go out and I can buy this boat because, you know, I'm handling mom's money and she would want me to have this boat. So I see a lot of the exploitation that occurs within the family, but that is not that's not the stuff that gets mentioned. No, you're you're absolutely right. And um, unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of times seniors also are taken advantage of it by not just family members, but in general. Um, and these things have gotten very complicated. And I, I think there was a tendency. And, and let's let's talk about gender for a minute, because you, you talk about helping women find their financial and personal dreams. I'm part of an organization called Females in Finance that is a, a, an amazing group that's nationwide um, that really is talking about not only bringing more amazing women into the financial advisory realm, but also making sure that there are male allies in the financial advisory realm, because our business is about 88% male, which is obscene when you think about it. Um, but nonetheless, the fact that that exists, there, there was a tendency in the 80s, and you and I are old enough to remember, in the 80s, uh, financial advising wasn't really a thing. It was stock slinging, and it was a lot of bravado, and everybody was a cowboy, and that wasn't appealing to women at the time at all, I suspect. Well, I think you've got, you know, certainly generational issues, so 
what I find very often, especially with women, is they get divorced. I have so many women are just like, I just want done with the relationship. So they lose out financially for whatever reason. Maybe they don't, you know, they're like, okay, I just want this done. Enough of the lawsuit. We're done. Or the husband dies and that's the guy who's been dealing with all the finances. And so then the women are starting from zero. So that's certainly something I see. The other piece of it that with some of the women that I have coached is uh, women, I think, tend to be more conservative. They're so afraid of losing money, so they put stuff into, you know, your 1% interest savings account. And as you know, I mean, that's no way to grow an asset over time. It's great to have that safety measure, but women, I do think, tend to play it more conservatively which if you look at the statistics, I mean, there's a, a big variance as women get older, women versus men, as to how much money they have. Well, and there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, some of it is women don't always earn as much as men for the same job. True. And I, I, I think some of that is, is changing, though I think more slowly than, than I would have expected. Um, but there, the, women also outlive men. Um, you know, women live something like seven years longer than men on average. Isn't that, I don't know if you know that anecdotally, but I think it's about seven years. And they also, when they, when they marry in the traditional sense, they tend to marry men who are older than they are. So they're preparing for a widowhood that is 10 or 15 years. That can be an extremely expensive period of time. And then you talk about things like elder care or long-term care and Half the time, women are married to older men. They take care of these men until they die, and then they're on their own, and they have no one to take care of them. Right. It's yeah. a complicated problem. I don't. I don't know that there's a that there's a hot button solution that we'd all have pushed it by now. But um, certainly, what you're doing is empowering women to to figure out their own path to financial freedom. And I love the Dream Fund idea. I love the idea that you're. Um, that you're helping women in general or, or specifically that you're helping women find ways to um, to make sure that they're not sitting at zero when they're widowed or divorced or even even next year and that they're making good financial decisions and coaching can be extremely helpful in that regard right and I, I think you know it's in and I know you've had, uh, you know, podcasts talking about mindsets and these self-limiting beliefs, but there is so much of that that still goes on, especially with women who've been told, you know, well, you're lousy with math. How can you do well with money? You know, it's just, that's just not you. And, you know, you're not, you're not smart enough to do this. You're not pretty enough to do this. You're not, you know, so part of the Gutsy Women Club is about overcoming that's the first step is like understanding these self-limiting beliefs that we place on ourselves trying to overcome those beliefs also understanding the role that we play because women very often everybody else is ahead of themselves they're taking care of the spouse they're taking care of adult children who are in their 30s and 40s they're taking care of elderly parents they are stretched to the max and they themselves are the last person. They don't take care of themselves. So that's another um, part of like, you know, my time is important. Myself is important. I am worthy of 
chasing and realizing my dreams. So that's a big part of what we end up doing too. And then as a sociologist, I'm really in tune to the expectations of us. Um, to you, know, you go to college, you get the house, you get a bigger house, you get the car, you get the kids, the kids got to go to a good college, you, you work, then you retire. But it's also we're in this consumerist society in America, especially where it's like, oh, you got money, you're supposed to spend it. It's like saving is a bad thing. It's like, oh, you got that stimulus check, now go out, you should spend it, you know, help the economy, spend it. <laughs> yeah, and do so your part. <laughs> we we have to fight yeah. that. And there's a lot of that, and social media doesn't help because everybody's life is perfect on social media. You just have to look through it. Um, but you just defined my mom. You just defined a, a woman who put her own parents and uh, frequently in-laws and sometimes total strangers and her own children and her own spouse and her own everyone ahead of herself. Um, you know, I've always said there's a special place in heaven for that woman because she has taken care of everyone. Um, but I'm sure it's exhausting. And, and you know, on some level, I don't, I don't know – I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing, but it sure would be nice if it wasn't a solo job. You know, the, I would think that it would be nice to get some help in that regard occasionally. So I, I trust that your sociology background and your coaching have, have come together to help people figure that out. And you talk about self-limiting beliefs. I have an 11 year old daughter who's fabulous at math and I'm encouraging her to be fabulous at math. And I don't ever want anybody to tell her she's not good at math because she's a girl. But, but, it, that still is a that still is a social norm to think that, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, it's uh, um, you know I'm I'm I've got family here, so my brother's an engineer, and and you go into some of those fields where it's still predominantly male. Um, I have a niece who does this fantastic stuff. You know, got her PhD in nanotechnology. and uh, you know she's one of just a handful of women, but. I've also seen all of this change over time. So having worked in the court system where, you know, every chief justice of the state Supreme Courts were male, now you're seeing more and more diversity. Uh, if you look at medicine, you know, when I was younger, a woman doctor was seldom seen. And so we see a lot of that changing. It's still, I think, with um, STEM technologies, um, it's still kind of, uh, male-oriented, um, and certainly the finances remain very male-oriented. You know, if I'm looking for a financial advisor, I mean, the majority of the time there are there's typically white white guys who are financial advisors. I have to purposely, you know, seek out a, a woman financial advisor, someone that I might feel more comfortable with, someone that might understand my role as a single mom. So. I, I do find that while these fields are becoming, I guess, more equitable, we're still quite a, quite a ways behind in terms of uh, finances, but also, you know, the, the, those high-powered engineering and technology and um, uh, science fields. It, it, it's interesting. We have eight financial advisors at our office, and four are men and four are women, which makes us a very unique bird in this space. Um, and and I, I tell everyone two things. One, we didn't set out to do that on purpose. We found great people, and that's what happened. Uh, and two, I believe that women are naturally 
better uh, better at building relationships and at being financial advisors for that reason than men are. Naturally, it is a skill that women have to to not necessarily, forget the math, we can all do the math, but there's a skill to communicating and to building relationships and to building confidence and and trust that I think women actually are, are better suited for it than men. So I think you're going to see that that pendulum swing in a profound way over time. Um, and it's interesting that you say this, this industry is almost entirely white and almost entirely male. And we've done shows on this subject uh, on both of those things. And of course, here I am, I'm a white guy. So, and, and I'm in this industry and I, and I love it. And I certainly don't think that I have a corner on that market, but it's, um, it, it's definitely a, a space that is changing and changing for the better. Um, and women are playing a giant role, not only in the financial industry, but women control something like three quarters of the wealth in this country, either because they've inherited it or because they've earned it themselves or because they've outlived a spouse or because, um, or because they just are the one in the household who handles the money. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it. But women control most of the wealth in this country to begin with. And the buying decisions, there are plenty of husbands out there who say, oh, yeah, this is my call. It's not your call. Come on. <laughs> it's not. So, uh, Brenda, where can people learn more about you? Because I, I, I know you have a blog. I know you have some website. I know you have the, the courses. Where, where can people find you? Because there's a lot more here than, than just what we could do in half an hour. Well, I have a personal blog at thefivejourneys.com. And that sort of gives you, I've had that for several years, so there you can go through. There's some financial stuff, but a lot of personal things. My heart right now is in the Gutsy Women Club, gutsywomen.club. And that's, that's something I'm putting um, a lot of my effort into to sort of help women come back to those dream lives and have a path and have a support system and build this really, you know, kick-ass community of women who are like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of doing nothing. It's time to step out. So gutsywomen.club, that's, that's uh, um, um, where I'd love to send, send people. We'll make sure that's in the show notes because I, I do think this is something folks should check out. Uh, and it's time to close our show with our extra credit assignment. And the assignment could be to go to gutsywomen.club, although that's too easy. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask for another assignment. Um, what would be the one takeaway, the one action item that folks could take away from our half hour together today? Well, you've given me a little time to think about it, but all good things come from stepping outside of your comfort zone. You know, people are afraid to do things. It's just step by step by step. You got to step out of your comfort zone. Great advice. Great advice. Um, Brenda Egert, you've been an amazing, amazing guest on Don't Retire, Graduate. And I thank you for being here today. And I know a lot of people are going to be excited to check out your, your blog, your courses, your website, and gutsywomen.club. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Eric, for inviting me and having me on. It's been a pleasure. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners for listening to the Don't Retire Graduate podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and post comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts or other download sites. Don't Retire Graduate is a book available in print, Kindle, and audio formats, and it's now a workbook with all the steps you need to build your own financial freedom plan. For more information, go to brotmanmedia.com or buy your copy and leave us a review on Amazon. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. 
For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.